Hello there. Don't have a good day. Have a great day. Talk to me, Goose. Restless. You steal the Declaration of Independence. Why? So simple. I could do this all day. Are you watching closely? Welcome, everybody, to the One-Eyed Film Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Mossberg, and today we have the Nolan Bros back. Josh and Will, welcome. Morning. Hey. Good to have you guys back. It's good to have you guys back. Today, we're going to be talking about Arcane, but before we get very far into the episode, I want to shout out a friend of mine who really helped get this podcast off the ground by composing the intro music. Every time you hear the intro music at the beginning and end, that is composed by my good friend, Jordan Olson. He has an Instagram page where he composes music. He's really entertaining. He's one of my best friends from college, and he was gracious enough to compose our intro music, so you guys should definitely go check out his Instagram page. Give him some love over there. Thank you, Jordan, for composing our intro music. What a beast. (laughs) Today we're talking about Arcane, the Netflix show that came out a little over a year ago, and it's been kind of the end of the Spider-Verse of TV shows. Highly praised, not a lot to say regarding uh, criticisms, and the three of us, along with some other friends, went ahead and watched it early last year and I know Josh absolutely loved it. Will loved it. I had watched it beforehand, so I already knew going in, but I think that there's a lot that they got right with this show that other studios can take note from, and just the emotions that you feel throughout the show are incredible. I want to hear your guys' initial thoughts on what you thought of when you first watched it, what you thought of when we first watched it, but also what you think of it now after like almost a year of thinking about what made this so different. I'd say that when I first watched it with you guys, which was really fun, it's interesting because I think the more I think about it now, the more I appreciate it and the more I like it. It's a strange thing where going through it and watching it was really fun but i think my enjoyment is almost more after watching it as i think about it and talk about it with you guys and i like it more afterwards it's definitely a really good show and all the praise given towards it is definitely worthwhile yeah it's it's definitely really well made i remember going into it thinking oh it's league of legends what what's all that great about league of legends why is this gonna be so good and then (laughs) seth and i watched the first three episodes and i was instantly hooked i was getting up early before a shift to try and watch an episode before work and having done that with a tv show um yeah i remember watching that all as a group and it's just great i've probably watched through it maybe eight or nine times and each time it's just it's so good characters well written like you said william the more you think about characters and the whole plot and everything after you've seen it you start to enjoy it more because you start to rationalize what each character is thinking in their given position because each character they've got motive for what they're doing and it's so strong that you can't say you do any different in their shoes and that's what makes such good writing of it Exactly. It is a very grounded movie, and nobody does anything out of character. Everyone has their own experience, everyone has their own worldview that motivates them to do what they do and explain why they do it. But before we get too far into the episode, I want to give a spoiler alert. We don't usually say this because you assume there's spoilers, but especially for this one, this show is much more enjoyable if you don't know anything. We're going to be talking about some major plot twists, some major reveals that will make watching the show less enjoyable for you, knowing what's going to happen. The best way to enjoy Arcane is simply to watch it. I can't demand that you watch it because I don't want to make you watch anything you're not comfortable with, but if you want the most out of our discussion here, watch the show, come back and listen to our discussion on it, and then join in our conversations on Discord where we talk about the 
character development and everything that happens in the story. This show is worth it. It is very well it's very well crafted to the point where you will be blown away unlike anything else that we've gotten in recent years. If you don't care to watch it, then just listen to our conversation here. That's also okay. We'll have plenty of discussion and hopefully you can pick up on the gist of it as we talk. But with that said, I want you guys to give me the one thing that you think makes this show stand out. I would probably say art style. That's something that definitely stands out a lot and it definitely catches your eye but on top of that i would probably say characters we you don't see a whole lot of character development like this in tv shows or movies nowadays sometimes even video games and you know how i feel about video games and that kind of character development but this level is unmatched so either art style characters you've put it pretty well josh i'd say for me if i was to sum it up into one sentence it'd basically be an incredible story told through incredible animation with incredible characters because that that's that's really the only way i can really talk about it um and i think the best example of that is silco who are who we are definitely going to talk about but if you just look at silco uh it's an incredible character who was an incredible story that's told through incredible animation and art. Yeah, I get a little ahead of myself, but if you can get a bad guy or a villain to seem rational <laughs> in your TV show, you're doing a good job. And I won't get too ahead of myself, but Silco, I know he's the bad guy, but he's my favorite character. We are going to talk plenty about Silco in a couple minutes. I definitely agree with you too that it is character development with beautiful animation. And this is coming from a guy who analyzes animation because of a degree in animation. There is so much to be said about the art style. This pushed the same kind of boundaries that Into the Spider-Verse did, in a different style, of course. But also, it's kind of bleeding into new productions, such as Puss in Boots' The Last Wish, the new one that just came out. A lot of people are saying it looks really good. That one also has good character development and everything. I haven't seen it yet, but I know the style has been very influenced by Into the Spider-Verse and Arcane. This new type of painterly look to the animation is really catching on, and it's more the animators understanding that they can use animation to their advantage. I mean, animation has always been using the tools to your advantage, using frame changes and matte paintings and all that. But when a show like Arcane or a movie like Puss in Boots and Into the Spider-Verse use those to their advantage, it hits differently. It's almost the same feeling certain people have toward anime and the style that that produces and the feelings that we can feel through a different type of art style. Disney has really been pushing the photoreal look of an animation. Like if you look at Frozen 2, Besides the characters, it almost looks like it could have been filmed. It's so detailed and crisp and real, and that has its place. But the art style of these three productions that I've been talking about seems to have an effect on people and how much they enjoy it and watching it and how it can play into the story. Yeah, the best way you could really describe Arcane's art style is like living paintings because it's got, it looks like a painting has come to life. It is like 3D animated now. And it reminds me of like the, the classical 2D animations that like Disney was famous for. I have really fond memories of like that type of animation. And this is kind of like a reinterpretation of that in the modern era because we have so many CGI in movies and animation that we they kind of all look similar. Like if you get Pixar movies, but this is a very unique and I would say very beautiful and distinctive art style. I was describing it to a friend once, and I said that every frame looked like concept art. And concept art kind of has that vibe of quickly thrown together, but still every detail taken into consideration. You can pause the show at any point and see that every inch of detail that was put into these frames, both in the background painting and in the characters that they modeled. For those of you who are a little nerdy like me, almost all of the environments 
were painted by hand and simply a backdrop. All of the characters are 3D modeled and sculpted to look like they were drawn in 2D, similar to Into the Spider-Verse. But the funny part is that they almost had no environments modeled out. Everything was painted and composited to look like they were walking in the room when really the room was just a 2D plane. That's crazy to me, but the way that they executed it was brilliant. Honestly, enough about the art style because if we start praising that too much, we'll be here all day because you'll just be visually stunned the entire time you're watching it. <laughs> Let's get into characters. Yes. I'm excited about this. Let's do oh, it. Yeah, here we go. All right. So the first one we're going to talk about, some would say the main character, but I have an argument later that's going to go against that. We're going to talk about Powder, who grows up and changes her name to Jinx. The most character development happens with her. I'll make an argument there. She has the most amount of change throughout the whole show. I mean, obviously, she goes from a lovable, adorable kid who just wants to be cool to a Joker-like character who still just wants to be cool, so that stays the same, but is doing it in very different ways. She's she's kind of like a tragic character in a certain sense because we know what she's like at the start, you know, like this the sweet little powder girl. And then we know what she's like at the end, this um, emotionally straught character who's fully embraced this certain aspect of herself and that that transformation is in many ways tragic but it's i don't know she's she is a very well done character because we get to see why she is the way she is at the end of the tv show what brought the, the steps that led her to that path and how it's affected her and affected the characters around her and you know that that completely crazy character that we kind of love to see in characters like the Joker, and especially when it's voice acted or played by a very talented actor, like the Joker played by Heath Ledger. Jinx in this TV show also does just a really good job in kind of going back to the topic of each character having really good motive. Jinx has incredibly good motive for how she acts the way that she acts. Cause can you imagine all you wanna do is be like your older sister who's much bigger than you and much tougher than you and you're just two different people and in trying to prove yourself you not only kill your two friends but your father figure and how mind just altering that whole scenario can be i i'd go crazy too i'd probably end up seeing my dead friends throughout the rest of my life everywhere because i'd still blame me regardless of how much sympathy i got from another father figure saying I'm perfect, but it's another character kind of plot point to where I can't say that I'd be any different if I went through her scenario. Yeah, Jinx has always been the one to want to please her older mentor, whether that be Vi, her sister, or Vander, her father figure in the first three episodes, and then eventually Silco in the last six. She feels like she needs to prove herself. And it really hurts when she thinks she's finally succeeded and she's caused a lot more damage than helping. This is probably another talking point that we'll bring up later in Jinx trying to prove herself, but becoming very destructive. And this is where should Silco have been supportive of everything she's doing because he keeps calling her perfect in many scenarios kind of thing. But she's far from it. She's also human and she's killed people she's done all of these horrible things but all just for the sake of trying to get recognized as just i guess just recognize not even as anything well i'd say it's more it's something just more than just wanting to be cool or be recognized he just wants to be loved 
that's like a very simple human emotion. We all want to necessarily be adored, but to like have someone to be appreciated by other people. Like that's the thing we want to be recognized and noticed by our uh, by our siblings, by our uh, parents, by our peers. And you know what exactly we want from them per se is different, but we generally want to be appreciated and we want to be recognized, we want to be loved. And if you think about it from Jinx's perspective, the the need and desire to satisfy others' visions of her and to try to uh, gain that love is kind of what leads to her ultimate fate at the end, where she's kind of has, having a war inside her between should I accept the, the powder within me, uh, so to speak, and follow my sister, or should I just embrace what Silco says that I am? And do I want his love or do I want my sister's love? And that, that division is so clearly exemplified in that last scene that was really powerful where, you, you know, you literally have these two different voices shouting in her heads, you know, saying, Jinx, powder. And, you know, by the end, we know that she has accepted herself as Jinx. And it's terrible and it's tragic, but we get it. Uh, we know why she's at that point, and it makes it even more sad. I would say the most interesting part of Jinx's character development is how all the characters we're talking about today, Vi, Vander, Silco, all played a role in her, basically her demise. Vi was very tough on her throughout their childhood, trying to make her better. Yes, Vi probably loved her the most, but she was still tough on her. Vander, as we'll talk about in a little bit, put all his effort into Vi and making her better rather than Jinx, who was then Powder, and she felt like she wasn't loved by Vander and distant from him, even though he still cared for her. And then Silco, we all kind of want to blame Silco for making Powder into Jinx, this crazy lunatic. But at the end, Jinx even says, Want to know a secret? Silco thinks he made Jinx, but he didn't make Jinx. You did. And so all of these characters played into her development and her going off the deep end, all in their own way. That's the nice thing about Arcane is we focus on a lot of different characters because it is very character focused. And the dynamic between different people is constantly changing and it's constantly changing people as well. Because, you know, if I does X, then something will happen to this character and something will happen to Jinx, and something will happen to Silco, and that causes another thing, that causes another th And it's the snowballing effect of just events and character actions. I think Jinx is just kind of the ultimate example of that, because so many things happen to, to her that kind of form her character, and then she tries to do something, and then that often goes badly, or it has a negative consequence in her life, and that just furthers, that just causes her to spiral even more out of control. Something I do want to ask is very interesting point for you to bring up, Seth, earlier, about Vander giving Vi all of the attention, and I don't want to say neglecting Powder, but now that you point that out, I definitely do see a focus on Vi. Can we expound upon that in any way? Yeah, why don't we just talk about Vander next? He is kind of described or personified as the perfect father. The first time we see him is that opening shot, which I gotta say, so well done. It, it gives me the same feeling as the scene from Up, where there's no dialogue, it's just show, don't tell. That's the entire point of a movie. But Vander is, first scene, beating up a enforcer because he is the protector. And he turns around, he's like glaring, and you think that maybe he's gonna come hurt the girls because you don't know him yet. But then he drops his gloves and picks them up and cares for them and has now accepted them as basically his daughters and that is the manly man that should be the manly man he is someone who can beat an enemy to death in self-defense but then gently pick up the girls and comfort them 
after their loss of their mother. The man who can control his emotions and yet know when the right time to release them is. He shows this also in episode 3 when he's fighting Silco. He protects to the point where he sacrifices himself in episode 3. Which that episode 3, I also gotta say, hits hard. Oh yeah. I, I cried. <laughs> three of the times I, I watched it. I wouldn't say Vander is my favorite character because it's really hard for me to pick a favorite character. But he is definitely up there because I love Vander so much. Mostly just because of his character and what he is, and what he is, is a good father. Now, he's not a perfect father because there is no such thing. Seth, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit on the Avatar and Avatar 2 episode because that has a heavy theme on fatherhood. But I think Vander is such a good example of what a good father should be. And let's go back to that first scene where we see him is Vander is the one who causes the events that lead to Vi and Jinx's parents' death. Because he's the one who says, we're going to go up, we're going to go fight for our city and stuff and he leads them and it results in death and catastrophe and vander is a a strong capable guy and he fights but when he recognizes that what he's done has affected these girls he takes responsibility and that i think is what can really define a true man because you can have weak men and you can have strong men who are arrogant but i think a real father and a real man is someone who's able to take responsibility for his actions and work towards protecting his family. And so when he sees Jinx and Vi, he recognizes that his actions have led to this, and he takes responsibility, and he takes them under his wing. Now, very interesting that you say that he takes responsibility for his actions with that first revolution kind of scenario. Even better yet, great kind of character move is him trying to do everything he can to prevent those same mistakes in other people as well because he spends so much effort on trying to see that Vi doesn't become the same person he was, and he's all about peace. He does whatever he can to keep peace, even making deals with the enforcers themselves. So that is also very cool. And something that I think I could also work on myself, more than just taking responsibility for my actions, but seeing to it that those mistakes never happen again, whether it be by me or by other people, that is just a very good quality that I love seeing in Vander. And I would say that's why we're attracted to his character is that we almost desire that for ourselves. Whatever he has going for him that leads people and makes decisions for a whole community, that's almost what we want to develop in ourselves so that we can make the tough choices and take responsibility like he did. Yeah. Having a father figure that you can look up to and want to be like it's awesome and having that in a tv show not as awesome as having a real father figure that you can look up to like our lord and savior but <laughs> still pretty dang cool yeah it's really refreshing to see a good example of a man and a father and we talked about this before you know with the avatar 2 episode but it's nice and it's almost refreshing to see an example of what i would say a good father is because you know he takes responsibility and more than that like like you just mentioned, Josh, he doesn't want to see his kids, quote-unquote, his adopted kids at least, do the same mistakes uh, he does, and particularly Vi. And I think we can talk about this now, is there's a very close connection between Vi and Vander. And I would say that Vander, I don't think he necessarily has favorites, but he does focus more on Vi than, like, Jinx, per se. And I think that might be in part due to the fact that she's older and that she's more of a teenager and they can be a bit more of a handful. But that's kind of, what What are kind of your guys' thoughts on that? Because it definitely seems to me that he focuses more on Vi and making sure that 
she's raised well and doesn't become like he is. I understand the argument that Vi is older. If you take a moment to realize that the only scene that just includes Powder slash Jinx and Vander is the one where she's at the bar and he gives her apple juice and then as soon as he realizes something's wrong, he leaves to go find Vi. That is the only intimate scene that those two have and every other intimate scene with Vander is with Vi. And I don't want to say that he's a bad dad because of that, but it is kind of telling and it influences possibly the neglect that she feels from him. And then on top of that, Vi being strict with her and harsh with her closer to the end of episode three is what drove her over the edge. Mm -hmm. And to give Vander the benefit of the doubt, I think his focus is so strong on making sure that personalities like Vi don't turn into another revolution. But I would also argue... I think he does put more effort into Vi because he fears that if something happens to him, which something does happen to him, spoiler alert, that Vi will be enough of a authority figure for uh, Powder. But again, her only get the attention of just a cup of apple juice. That's pretty, pretty neglectful if you ask me, honestly. Obviously in the world, he spent more time with Powder, but the directors purposefully didn't show us that for a reason. And I think the intentionality of keeping Powder from talking to Vander and him putting all his effort into Vi is very telling in how Vi turned out and how Powder turned into jinx and all of that i wonder if it's if he focuses uh on vi not just due to age but because he sees himself and in some sense i don't this is maybe a bit more speculatory but in some sense he has a more he has a better connection with vi because he understands vi he knows what vi is like because he was like that and he kind of perhaps in a way kind of sees himself he really wants to prevent vi from making the same mistakes he did and he just probably has a better connection with vi because he understands her he understands kind of how she feels and jinx is a younger girl and she has different interests jinx is more quirky and kind of creative and focuses on different things she's not quite so beef and muscle and punch and stuff and so that that could indirectly be a bit of a hamper for vander to connect with on, on the same level as with Vi. he also straight up says it he says that those kids look up to you yeah i know you know but you don't know when people look up to you you don't get to be selfish you say run, they run. You say swim, they dive in. You say light a fire, they show up with oil. But whatever happens, it's on you. And so he is focusing on her because she leads these three, Clagger, Milo, and Powder. He knows that they look up to her and anything she does, they do. So it does make sense that he is trying to teach her how to be a leader and how to lead well. Just this whole discussion itself is almost makes Vander even more compelling because he's not perfect. And it's the difficulty of parenting of how much time and energy are you going to devote to your children? And it's a really hard decision. And obviously you don't want to have favorites, but sometimes you have to focus more and sometimes you just do unconsciously. And that just makes Vander a more compelling character because he's flawed. But despite that, he still does his best. He does, he tries so hard to give these kids a better future and he sacrifices himself so and gives himself up to Piltover. And then he makes the ultimate sacrifice of giving up his life in defense of these kids he does his best and that's probably just what i love about him so much again i hammer on the sacrificial love that is displayed in movies and when it's done well i really want to praise it because moments before vander's death he is taken shimmer to become the big hulking monster and he knows he has seconds before the whole building explodes he looks at vi he looks at silco he knows that he could end this all 
right now by killing Silco, but probably end up losing Vi. Or he can leave Silco and go save Vi, and he chooses the latter because he knows that it's worth saving the one that he loves rather than killing the one he hates. I think that's like just the best example of Christ there is, because, yeah. I mean, uh, Christ himself gave himself up and died for the one, I mean, both us individually and the human race, when he didn't have to. And yeah, sacrificial love. And he did that knowing that the evil would eventually be defeated. And in this story, it's not defeated by the end of the season. But he chose to save before he chose to destroy. And I think that is why episode three hits so hard. At least part. Yeah, at least in part. Now, with Vander being a father figure and him trying to get Jinx and Vi to grow up to not just be as good as him, but better as all parents should be doing. Uh, let's start talking about Vi. Do you guys think Vi would have been able to do as good of a job as Vander did in a leadership role throughout the entire uh, Undercity? I agree with Will's earlier point that Vander saw a lot of himself in Vi, and that's why he put so much effort into her, trying to make her better and not let her go down the same paths as him. And yet, I think she's still hot-headed enough that she would have tried to blaze her own trail. While, yes, she can look to Vander for help, she still kind of wants to be over here doing her own thing and doing what she thinks is right. And maybe maybe perspective comes with age and she realizes that Vander was right the whole time. As we see closer to the end of the show, she's really kind of off the rails. Not in an insane way like Jinx is, but ready to just throw hands whenever a problem arises and that can be helpful in some ways but also she's not much one to talk it out and that can be a detriment as well yeah i think if you look at Vi, she's far more unrestrained and not quite as in control as vander both of her emotions and kind of her anger she's she's not a loose cannon constantly but she has that energy and if you look at Vi, she's a very she has very simple motives at least when she gets out of prison she just wants to find her sister that is all she wants. And she that that core drive is what propels her throughout pretty much the rest of the season. She just wants to find Jinx, get her sister back. And so leadership is not really in her in her mind. And so if I think I think she has the potential to be a leader, just like Vander. She has to have some perspective on that. She doesn't really want to be a leader. She just is focused solely on Jinx. She's very emotionally connected to her sister, and that's all she cares about, really. And a couple other characters she grows on to the other way, but she does get kind of destructive because she's different than Vander in some ways because she's kind of just a bulldozer in the sense that I'm going towards this objective and i'm gonna just kind of go through whoever is gonna get in my way to get to my yeah. sister and kind of an interesting idea to build off of that she does definitely become a bulldozer and i would argue that she is the most lost of any other character she doesn't know what she wants towards the end she knows she wants jinx but sh she just doesn't know that's the whole thing. She spent so much time in prison, and she's trying to figure out what happened while she was gone, and I'd say she is the most lost character in the whole show because of that, which it gives her kind of a, a frustrating place to put yourself in. Like, for each of the characters in the show, I like to put myself in their shoes kind of scenarios, and I find myself thinking I'd be frustrated if I was in her scenario or in her shoes kind of thing because I just want my little sister back. I don't know what that costs and I'm frustrated just with not knowing what Silco has done to her. 
I am frustrated with this whole revolution thing happening because there it doesn't seem like there's anything I can do and I'm just lost with what should I do and can I get anything that I want kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Think about her story. Like she loses her parents, she's adopted by Vander and she kind of develops this he takes on this new role and starts to mentor her and she really tries to emulate that, I think. And then she loses her sister and then throughout her many years in prison, I'm sure the only thing going through her head is I'm going to get out and I'm going to save my sister. That's all I care about. That's like the main drive for years. Think about that as like a, as a character, as a person, if you were just stuck in a prison like that and you're just trying to get out, waiting to find your sister. And then she finally gets that chance. But then her world is kind of turned upside down because I'm sure she thought that, you know, uh, is is Jinx alive or is Powder alive? Where is she? I'm sure she's held captive. What have they done to her? And then she's horrified to learn that her sister has, like, become this twisted, almost uh, uh, insane character who's joined the person who killed her father. And I wonder if I almost imagined herself coming out kind of like as a, as a white knight, you know, going in, sweeping in, saving her sister, and then they go off into the sunset. But now it's become complicated because her her sister is sort of implicated with Silco, and it's just become so much more difficult. And so I think your uh, I think your statement that she is lost is pretty accurate because she has a core drive, but that's become so complicated by the world around her. Yeah, definitely how complex the world becomes towards the end of the TV show. It's it's honestly very hard to follow, especially if you're only watching through it one time now i've definitely made a lot of sense of it but that's only because i've watched through it <laughs> honestly too many times but vi kind of just hopping right into how complex the world is with civil war on the brink of just wiping out all of her friends that she could have had before and how silco is running the undercity and then not realizing how much of a hold silco has on all of the undercity until she sees all of the shimmer that's being spread throughout and then there's that horrifying kind of homeless area i want to call it uh when that one beautiful scene with jinx and the flare happens that just before that but Uh yeah the the world whole world is just so complex that she's just being thrown into she's lost confused and is just frustrated and doesn't know what to take her frustration out on other than just silco and trying to catch him. Can we go back and talk about that flare scene? I, I, we don't want to talk about every cool scene that we think happens because there's so many. But that scene is beautifully created. The music, the the score in that scene specifically makes you feel something that you don't even know what you're feeling. It is so it beautiful to watch. Bars. Oh, I, I love that scene so much. It's like top three top three that scene the one scene where uh victor walks and maybe we'll talk about victor in a second episode that i hope we do if you guys like this kind of thing or i mean obviously the last scene that that having a a mind battle as kind of the final fight scene that's all in the head versus an actual fist to fist kind of battle so cool and it was well done and it's something i've never seen or even heard of having the final battle being in the head. I think some of the most powerful battles on screen are, in fact, the mental games, the mind games. Uh, Daredevil does this a lot. Yes, he does a lot of punchy-punchy, cool fight scenes, but especially in Season 2, when he 
is talking with the Punisher, all of those dialogue scenes between them hit so much harder than the actual fight scenes. And if you do it well, a discussion between two sides is a lot more powerful than just throwing hands. And back to the flare scene really quick, that is a moment where Jinx has kind of come to the end of her rope. She doesn't even know where Vi is. They haven't talked in 10 years. She doesn't know if she's alive. She doesn't know if she can see the flare. And she's kept it this whole time because it's the one thing that's kind of keeping her childhood intact almost because she's remembering her sister and she lights the flare as a last ditch attempt and Vi happens to see it and goes and hugs her and this is one of the first times since seeing Jinx being the crazy lunatic that she is her eyes soften and she turns you, you see powder in that moment you see the little sister and you see Vi's love for her and it's so touching and yet by the end of the scene she's back at it again on her on her killing spree with her machine gun and all that it's heartbreaking to see that change happen right back to the character that we were starting to kind of hate because she's turned into this it's just so many emotions all at once it's crazy that scene really hit me and it definitely stands out just because i think for me because i was like there's so much hope in that scene like yes vice uh jinx has done it she's sent up the flare the sisters have reunited they're hugging it out and it's like yes okay we've got it we can, we can do this jinx is maybe recognizing maybe we can get powder back maybe we can fix this and you're, and like just as the audience and even as vi you're just like vi and the audience are basically having kind of like the same reaction like we've done it okay we've made it we've got my sister i i just gotta hold on to her i can do this we can fix this whole situation and it's so close and then it's ripped away from you and it's terrible like oh man it hits it hurts this show definitely plays with your emotion like nothing like anything i've ever seen it's so good the way the story gets you to care with every fiber of your being for vi and jinx and you just want them to be sisters again you it's you just make a fist in your hand while you're watching that flare scene like come on come on just i know that it can't go back to the same way it once was but i just want it to and uh it's so good and it's just very interesting uh you know how movies nowadays are trying to go back to all this nostalgia feeling and it's just stuff has happened to where it's just not possible to do that and you want it to be that way and you watch scenes like this and it's like i know that it's not possible but i'm thinking if i just want it enough it'll happen and then it doesn't it's just incredibly bittersweet that kind of yes we're hugging we're here now but it's just not ever going to be the way that it was and that understanding kills you all right enough about the boring characters let's talk about the interesting one the one we're here to talk about the one that josh has been dying to talk about ever since we first watched this a year ago there's so much to talk about as much as this story is about vi and jinx i think the main character of this entire show is silko he is (laughs) ours i i mean i don't i don't entirely agree but that's that's just a very interesting thought with with the character development you see especially closer to the end of the series there are so many, so many video essays on all of Arcane, but when you look through all of the video essays, so many of them are focused on Silco because he is such an interesting villain. When we were first introduced to him, he's kind of a cookie cutter villain. He's sitting in the corner in the dark. 
he's lanky he's wearing dark clothes he has a scar over his eye you're like oh okay it's another villain being bad even as a cat he has a cat kills the cat cat even (laughs) but what makes him so sympathetic what makes us empathize with this man compared to any other bad guy and even broader what makes us empathize with a villain in order that we can call them a really good villain some that come to mind are thanos killmonger darth vader those characters are iconic and labeled as really good characters but why they're not doing wrong for the sake of doing wrong that's where a lot of villains fall short they don't stand for what they believe they simply stand for the opposite of what our protagonist believes and yet a well-written villain will make you wonder could he be right there's more to go into it when it comes to silko but that's the essence of it is giving silko the same treatment as all of the other characters in the show giving him a reason to do what he does everything that he does is for a reason and that makes him sympathetic it allows you to possibly put yourself in his shoes and ask what would what would you have done and a question that i've been dying to ask josh since we had that conversation almost a year ago is silco a good father there it is (laughs) bars okay before i answer that question i kind of want to lead into that question because that's that's big i want to start out with kind of just understanding Silco's character. Now, there's a huge parallel between Silco and Vander. We both know back when they were younger, when they were leading this revolution, they had the same motives. And that's so crucial to understanding where each of them are now. Only difference is Silco didn't see the destruction that the first one caused. He was still willing to fight, but Vander saw the destruction understood that war like this there is no winning there's just less losing because you lose loved ones sure you win the war but not everyone wins the war on your side because not everyone makes it to the other side silco doesn't see this yet and that is what gives him so much motive because he doesn't understand the kind of consequences that he has to give until he starts to love someone like he starts to love jinx that's huge because slowly Silco does start to love Jinx, and he becomes a father figure for her. Now, because he hasn't quite seen the same detriment that war can give, he's ready for all of this. He wants this nation of Zahn, but he hasn't quite understood what it's going to cost him. So he doesn't see it. He's getting really attached to Jinx. He sees her as a daughter kind of scenario and the whole dynamic between Silco and Jinx by the way with them just feeling really uncomfortable whenever you see them together in a scene like it it's on purpose I know it is because you just feel uncomfortable between the two the writers admitted that they wrote those scenes to be very uncomfortable for the for the viewer that that makes a lot of sense because there's it it's just too too much for it to feel normal and it shows just how twisted the relationship can be but later on finally see silco understand the cost that this war this nation of zan will be and that'll be jink once we see silco uh finally start to make a deal with jace they're all ready but the only term that he's not willing to fold on is he'd have to turn in jinx and my favorite scene in the whole tv show is him sitting at vander's kind of memorial site and that just blew my mind when i first watched it he becomes the most human in that scene because the amount of effort he put in like vander did he eventually became the same and i would argue that if you gave him a lot more time and this kind of answers the question that you 
asked earlier Seth. If you gave him a lot more time after that point, I think he would have been a good father. But because his focus was so much on getting his nation of Zan, he neglected what Jinx really needed. And it wasn't affirmation, it was just love. But he understood that he just wants Jinx. He doesn't want that nation of Zan anymore and he becomes like Vander. I know exactly where you got that analogy from of where the show became human. It's from a video from Flying Walrus that I'll link in the description. He outlines it so yes. well in how Silco is finally understanding Vander's perspective. And this is the entire movie. We are trying to understand each character's perspective. And at this point, Silco is understanding why Vander did what he did because he's now being put in the same position. He's being He has an ultimatum between the one he loves that he didn't realize he loves and his goal. He knows which side his heart wants and which side his head wants. And he knows he wants to go with his heart and save Jinx. Yeah, that scene, that hit really hard. I think that's probably my favorite scene and the one that I got the most feels. And you guys know me, I'm not, I generally don't show a lot of emotion when I'm watching this, but that's like the closest I got, I suppose, to like ever crying during this entire session because it's it's the perfect climax for his character. Because Silco is very much the radical zealot who's he's got this vision and him and vander kind of start out and it's interesting to see the parallels that you mentioned because he's believes he's kind of betrayed by vander and that's how he gets his uh, scar on his eye and whatever and he says okay vander didn't vander betrayed us we had this vision of zon he didn't go far enough i'm going to make zon this is my goal i'm gonna do it and that's kind of like a pretty pretty cliche almost cliche type of villain he's like okay i'm gonna do this i have a goal that could make a good character a good villain i suppose but what really separates him is at the end of season three or at the end of episode three when he sees this girl who's crying who's in need and she hugs him and he accepts it and that's when you really start to see that silco is something different and then we see him slowly have this internal war between what he wants to do he wants to create zon and he fights for it, but at the same time, he starts to have this connection with Jinx. And even though he probably doesn't even want to admit it, by the end, he he sits in the shadow of his old friend and enemy and says, I get it now. I want this nation of Zaun, but I can't give up Jinx because I love her. And so I'm going to fight to keep her. And it's just so powerful. And I really love that about his character. And I suppose to kind of answer your question, Seth, I don't think that Silco is a good father, at least because I think he does love Jinx, and he does take care of her in a, in a way, but there can be parents who love their children and say, and teach them to, uh, to kill or to steal. They can still be loving parents, but a good parent teaches their children the correct way to live, and they try to exemplify that. And Silco didn't do that, but he still has this connection with Jinx, and he still cares about her. And I would largely agree with Josh that at the end of that scene, he, he recognizes the fact that he does love her. And that although he still has this wish for this nation of Zaun, his love for Jinx kind of supersedes that now. I will have to admit that my question was a loaded question. Is Silco a good father? No. In the moral sense, he's a terrible father because he's supporting Jinx in a very violent manner, trying to teach her that the only way to an answer is violence and all that. But in the sense that he is a father who will sacrifice for her the same way Vander would sacrifice for them. Yes, he is definitely a good father because when we meet Vander, obviously right away we see that he will sacrifice, he'll put down his gloves, he'll care for the girls, that opening scene of the entire show. 
and then that's exemplified through the three episodes that he's alive. But with Silco, we get to follow him on this path of kind of pushing aside his emotions because when Jinx finally gets him the arcane, the orbs, and she hugs him, he's not even, he doesn't care that she's hugging him. He's looking at the orb, realizing that this is all he needs. And yet, once Jinx is wounded from her fight with Echo, another top five, maybe top three scene of the entire show. He realizes his feelings that he does not want to lose Jinx. He realizes actual love for possibly the first time in his life. And it's not even about him, it's about her and that he's willing to do anything to save her. And we're brought on this journey with Silco. That's why I think he could be considered the main character of the show is that we are brought along on his character development from cold-hearted villain to an actually loving father, to the point where he is going to give up his life goal of creating the Empire of Zaun for his daughter figure. Bars. Very much yeah. bars. Anything about Silco, bars. <laughs> another I mean, that... another thing I do want to give uh, Silco props for, he does understand that Jinx just wants recognition and to be thought of as, I don't know, good at something, but he goes about it in all the wrong ways. He's congratulating bad pe- behavior. He's he doesn't even care about the people that she killed to get that orb. He just ca- cares about the orb, but he's still giving Jinx recognition for it in liking the orb. So him giving her all of this recognition, going as far as to say she's perfect, bad move on his behalf because he has neglected everything she's done wrong because a good father, a good parent will tell you that you're doing stuff wrong and will correct you. But he's not doing that to her. And that's why he's a bad father. I, I will give him props. He did he did give her some of the things that she did need. But you can't just do half of the puzzle in Kali Good. She desired attention. He gave her attention to the point where it was destructive to her well-being. And he was just affirming her in everything that she did. She, he was the embodiment of an affirming parent who wouldn't tell their child that they're doing anything wrong. And that is a dangerous road to go down. I know we're talking about... Uh, Silco right now, but I just want to talk about how that's affecting Jinx. That kind of recognition, that kind of attention, affirmation that she's getting from Silco, it's addicting. And now she wants to do whatever she can to keep getting that. She's killing more people. She's doing everything everything she can to get this orb back, whatever it may be. And you can see how much it's just affecting her mental state. This show does a really good job at showing what's going through Jinx's head in kind of just a cool art style and just understanding that she's not all there. She's like actually crazy, but this desire to get more attention, more recognition from Silco shows a lot and it's it, it just further exemplifies how bad it is that she's getting this addicting almost drug from Silco without and it, it it forces her to just lose all reason whenever she's making any kind of action. Yeah, because I think Silco is probably like the first person who's giving who's given Jinx kind of uh, that we've seen at least. Mo- yeah, has who's given Jinx the most attention because while her sister cares for her, her sister also has other people she has to think about. And while Vander definitely cares for her, he has he definitely focuses more on Vi. But Silco and Jinx have this very interesting and uncomfortable, this connection between each other. And he does care about her. And he, like, when she's wounded, he thrusts himself to get her to safety, to get her better. And he affirms a lot of the things, or rather, he affirms lots of bad behavior within her. But I think what's really interesting is that Silco kind of recognizes Jinx for what she is now. 
because Vi is trying to get the powder that she knew. She's She wants to get her sister, but she wants to get the sister, the little girl that she knew. She doesn't like this new Jinx that's emerged. Whereas, whereas Silco wants, he, he only knows Jinx, and he wants Jinx, and he cares about Jinx. And that's why when he's dying, he says, you're perfect. Okay, I love you. I don't love powder, I love you. And that affirmation of herself in the present is kind of what damns Jinx, and she accepts that I'm Jinx now, and I'm going to fulfill his vision. I no longer care about powder, I am Jinx. Totally agree. The point of Arcane and the point of Flying Walrus's video is that none of the characters in Arcane are perfect. No one is pure. Everyone has a dark side. Everyone has a reason for what they do. Everyone has a view of the world and that affects how they live. It's called a worldview and it's ingrained into our life as a human. The way that this show makes you sympathize with every character is almost directing us to sympathize with others. So often in a movie, we sympathize with one or two characters, the main character and a supporting character. This show lets us sympathize with everyone, even the side supporting characters. I would encourage everyone listening to learn how to understand other people's situations and that they're reacting to their life because they have had certain experiences that are very different from yours. This is where a lot of apologists will go, understanding that people have had different experiences, different life, different teaching, from certain people from either colleges or from their parents that have driven them away from God. We, as Christians, have been blessed with either parents who have taught us the way or mentors who have brought us to this place in life where we can call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Not everyone has that blessing in their life. A lot of where the crazy Christian vibe comes from, the people who are standing on the street corners preaching that you're going to hell, is that they have the Spirit of God in them wanting to share with others, but they're doing it in the wrong way where they're almost beating people over the head with the scriptures, thinking that doing that will cause them to realize that they are lost and that they need a savior. But it honestly comes off as annoying and people think that all Christians are like that. So we need to develop relationships with people, learn where they're coming from, sympathize with them, be friends with them, and then talk to them about the gospel. And this, even broader than what I'm talking about, ties into how we watch movies. You can start a conversation with somebody about a movie that you've seen instead of being that Christian who says, oh, I don't I don't watch that stuff. Now you can't relate to your friends in that way because you, you don't watch those movies. Some people will do that and now you can't relate to them and build this bridge where you can talk about the themes in a movie just like we do every week that can possibly lead into a conversation about the gospel. These movies that Hollywood produces all have something that we can discuss. That's why we have a long list of things that we want to talk about here in the next couple months and even possibly years on this podcast. But we also want to teach you guys how to watch a movie with discernment so that you can use it as a tool to share the gospel by building a bridge using movies. That's the whole point of this podcast. I explained this in episode zero. I hope that you guys are listening to this more than just entertainment because we want to be entertaining. We want to provide meaningful discussion to have, but we also want you guys to learn how to watch with discernment for a greater purpose, for the whole reason that we are here to make disciples. Jesus giving us the great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. You can't do that if you can't relate to them. So after, (laughs) I'm going to step off my soapbox and just say, understand where people are coming from on a personal level and talk to them about it in that way.
it really just goes back to that analogy of if you're on a chair and you're trying to pull someone up, they're going to end up just pulling you down. So be careful with the TV shows that you watch because, yes, we're called to be in the world but not of the worlds. But don't give yourself stumbling blocks. Have accountability. But also find ways to just connect and relate and get on the same level with other people to where it's a relationship between you and your friend, coworker, whoever it may be that you're trying to share with Christ. And then they can understand that, hey, you and I, we aren't so different. You make mistakes, I make mistakes, and you seem to be okay with the mistakes that you're making. I've still got a lot of baggage that I have, and I want the relief that you have. That's, that's the light that we're supposed to be. We shouldn't be going to other people and trying to minister to them in a way that almost makes it seem like we're better than them because we're already saved. That's not, that's not how Jesus was. That's not who we're called to be. We need to put ourselves in a humble position and sometimes it may be as simple as understanding a movie so that you can make normal conversation with people so that they understand, hey, I enjoy TV shows. I'd love to talk to you about that. Not everything about me is just what you think it is. I think with Arcane, the thing is we can learn to understand the perspective of others while keeping to the truth and attempting to reach out and help them. And this takes, uh, and this can be seen in our Christian life. Whatever we do, we cannot compromise the truth of what we believe, but we can understand that different people have a different background, a different perspective, be open towards that, and try to help them in the best way that we can through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well said. Amen. Well said. Bars, if you will. <laughs> when it comes to Arcane, we know that season two is coming probably later this year. I'm very excited for it, but honestly, I don't care how long it takes to make. It took six years for the first one, and it appears it's taking about two years for the second season. I hope that the studio has realized that they don't need to marvelize everything, where you need things constantly coming out to keep people entertained. If you take your time to make a good story, it'll be worth it. And this show was definitely set up for a season two. Like, I understand that it could stand alone. There's definitely more stories that can be told here. And I can also give props to them for doing that in season one, setting up storylines that can be built upon later rather than just bringing it all to a close and then kind of shoehorning in an expansion of the story in season two. There's definitely more that can be told and I'm excited to watch season two. Me too. I am probably going to be getting sleepless nights for the first week that it's out, I'm gonna binge watch it once, binge watch it twice, and then a uh, third time, but this time with friends. <laughs> and there's a lot more characters that we can talk about. We only touched on four of them. There are so many other characters that if you want us to talk about, let us know in our Discord server if you wanna hear a part two, where we talk about Jace and Mel and Heimerdinger and Victor. All of these characters are also very interesting. We just couldn't cover them all in this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Like I said, follow us on Discord. We have some great conversation over there. Follow us on Instagram, where I post memes and updates on the episode so you can keep up to date over there. Please share this with your friends. Tell them they can listen wherever they find their podcasts. And thank you again so much, Will and Josh, for joining me today on this episode. No problem. It was my pleasure. I love talking about this. Yeah, it was it was a blast. Please have me again. I might. I might. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Have a great day. We love you. Peace. Peace out, Bye. brethren. Should we harmonize on the way out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> did, did we just give ourselves one of those like ending clips? Post credit scene, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Uh-oh. I love you guys. <laughs>